Welcome to Mac and Blue, where we introduce you to who is building Arizona, bringing you the people and businesses that shape the landscape around us. From economic development and developers, underwriters and lenders, architects and engineers, to the very builders and suppliers that bring it all together. Now let's join our hosts, Robert Johnson and JJ Levensky, aka Mac and Blue. Welcome to Mac and Blue. Again, I'm Robert Johnson, Vice President of Business Development with Tory Contracting. He is J.J. Levinsky, President of Blue Wave General Contracting. Hey. Did I say general contracting on mine or just contracting? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I, I only listen to half of what you say. Are anyway. you a general contractor? Last time I checked. Okay. All right. I don't know what the license says. Yeah. Probably says... My joke is, is it radiator repair and loan sharking? That's right. It could be. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? Good, good. And we have the ever-famous Daryl Robinson as producer with Shaken Brother. Nothing much. Just here on this wonderful Monday. Excited about the show. That's a little too cheery. We also have with us, we're really glad to have with us, Josh Tracy from the Ryan Companies. He is the vice president of a real estate development. I got it right? All of that right? Yes, sir. You got it. Awesome. And he even called me, sir. Tell us a little bit about what you do, who you are, what you are, and share a little bit about Ryan Companies. Well, first of all, I'll start with him. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, tell us about yourself. That's what I said. Who is Josh? By the way, thanks for being here. Yeah. And by the way, he does have a beautiful green shirt on. It's a beautiful green shirt. Representing the company well. A couple of colors here today. Yeah. Yeah, So as he mentioned, my name is Josh Tracy. Uh, I'm an Arizona native. Uh, one of the 23% of us here in Arizona. <laughs> I didn't even realize native. it was that high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some days it's that high. Is that a real is that a real percentage? That's what they teach you in real estate school. You know, I hold my real estate license and they and they teach you teach you 23%. So I'm one of the few. You grew are. up in Ahwatukee. My parents owned a small business growing up in Tempe. And I, I like to think that's where I learned my a lot of my values of hard work and customer sure. service that have really helped me through my career. I started my own business actually uh, in high school. I was doing auto detailing, which was a great job uh, through high school and college uh, at my parents' auto body shop. And actually, my dad just sold his shop two weeks ago and just retired. So, wow, uh, good for him. Yeah, so very exciting milestone uh, in our family's life. So, 36 years in business here in Tempe. Started right down the street on Broadway and Hardy. So, oh, wow, we're, really close. We're right around the corner here. And you could always go back to auto uh, detailing. I could. Yeah. I could. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Some days it probably pays more than real estate development. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no. I, are they uh, excited to be retired? Uh, they are. They are very excited to be, be retired. And I'm excited for them to, to be at that point. That's a cool thing. It is. It is very, very fun uh, transition in life and uh, something that we all look forward to. So, it's, it's neat to see. But I went to Arizona State. And so I've been been very local. Just leave for work trips and vacation, really. And you went through, did you do the WP Carey? I did WP Carey, undergrad degree. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't actually know I wanted to be in commercial real estate until my junior year. And so I studied business management as I knew that would be flexible. And then I tacked on a real estate minor and it served me well uh, to date. Very cool. And there was, in the the pre-work here, I see you have a little claim to fame that you were the only one that was directly hired. Is that what I... Give me the the nuts and bolts of that. Correct, correct. So I was able to get an internship um, at Ryan Companies uh, the summer before my senior year um, with Molly Ryan Carson, who's our market leader here in the Phoenix office. We just connected well. The The market was just starting to come back. This was summer of 2014. Oh, yeah. And so it was right about the time that Ryan could justify potentially hiring a junior person onto the development team. Um, but I was the I was the first uh, in the company's history to go from intern directly onto a development team in one of our offices, um, well, and and now I'm vice president. So from intern to uh, vice president in in eight years is a pretty cool thing to have accomplished. Oh, heck. C- it took me C- eighty CEO in six years. I yeah. mean, who, who who knew? I mean, we'll look back and say we were in the presence of greatness. We remember when. Yeah, I remember <laughs> when Josh Tracy was called Ryan by Daryl. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the joke amongst ourselves. Yes, exactly. Cool. So many people know Ryan Companies as a general contractor. They think of them as a general contractor. And you're not in the general contracting piece. You are in the real estate development piece. 
explain exactly how all of that works. Absolutely. So we are a general contractor, a large general contractor, today doing about $4 billion of work across the United States. Uh, we only operate domestically as a GC, but we look to balance our work about 50% third-party construction and 50% Ryan development projects. And those Ryan development projects, we have ownership equity in, so we're investing our cash in it anywhere from 100% owner of the project to sometimes only a 10% owner, just depending on the risk profile and type of project it is. So when Ryan has an ownership stake in it, that's when my team is uh, a part of it. My team and myself, we're looking at land, entitling land, going through due diligence, you know, putting together a design, of course, uh, bidding out construction work to the subs that we partner with on the general construction side building it, leasing it, and selling it. So so our team really handles the project from beginning to end. We are the part of that real estate development side of the company. We try to keep that balance because we feel like it keeps us competitive. If we only built for ourselves, there'd be no incentive to make sure that our pricing and, and our fees were in line with market. Right. And so we think that's a, a lot of benefit to us and a lot of benefit to our clients as well. Yeah, And Josh, you said that uh, on the equity side... Do you keep anything on a long-term portfolio? We keep about 10% of it in a long-term portfolio. We have established 15 Ryan funds. And oftentimes, they'll be transferred into one of those funds. That's a friends and family fund. Uh, Ryan Companies US Inc., the parent company, will keep and share of ownership in that entity that is transferred. But we also bring in some outside capital uh, when we do hold the project. Are there certain verticals that you tend to do that more in? Like, is it more assisted living, more industrial, or do you keep that a mix as well? We try to keep that a mix and each fund has a different flavor. Got it. Uh, So we have medical funds, we have office funds, we have industrial funds, and then we have funds that are a mixture to provide a more broad exposure to the investor. For the audience's sake, we understand your national presence, but where do you have active offices? So we, I sit here in the Phoenix office, which is our second largest office um, in the country. But we do have 16 offices um, all over the place. Um, So many of us, uh, many know us from the Minneapolis-based headquarters that we have. uh, But we also have offices in Iowa, Chicago, Tampa, Florida, Austin, Texas, Dallas, Texas, here in Phoenix, San Diego, Seattle, Denver, Atlanta. And I probably missed one or two, but that's a good start. Yeah, interesting. Throw a dart, you're going to hit something. Yeah. Yeah, so how does that work? You made it sound like they decide that they're going to have some ownership interest in something, they're going to have equity in something. But you made it sound like it was even before there was even property purchased or that, I mean, it was like, here's what we want to do. Go find us a place. Absolutely. Interesting. So, yeah. So, we have several different focuses. We have sector focuses Mm -hmm. like medical, right? So, we'll do both spec medical and build-a-suit medical for different health systems. We will do industrial, both on a spec and a build-to-suit basis uh, by way of, I'm probably violating something, but like for Amazon, Mm -hmm. uh, we do a bunch of Amazon build-to-suits around the country. And then we'll do retail, multifamily, senior living. Sometimes it's a build-to-suit, so it's for a particular user in mind. And other times, it's just on a completely speculative basis. And that's when me or someone like me is out finding land and studying markets and trying to determine which submarkets can sustain uh, speculative development. And then we have to sell that investment thesis to our ownership, oftentimes to outside equity partners and banks. And hopefully if that all aligns, then we move forward on projects on a speculative basis. Wow. Very neat. And for the audience sake, what are some of the, the key projects either in the recent past or currently that you can share to just add that flavor of what what Ryan Companies is in the Valley. Absolutely. So a project that everyone likely knows is the State Farm Arena Heights project. Uh, we developed that from 2014 to 2016. Um, they're on the south side of Tempe Town Lake between Mill and Rio Salado there. So the 2 million foot campus for State Farm. We developed that and we built that as a general contractor. Uh, that's certainly the biggest. Beyond that, we spent a lot of our time after that, developing office campuses for companies like McKesson on the Loop 101, mm-hmm. Farmers Insurance up in Deer Valley, they have a large campus up there. GoDaddy and Amcor uh, built office campuses at ASU Research Park at Warner and I 10. Yeah. And then, uh, fortunately, we were through those and had exited much, much of that development. And then COVID hit. 
And obviously, that was a huge change in the office occupancy. Office, unfortunately, continues to struggle with, uh, you know, not a lot of people wanting to come into the space daily. Everybody's spoiled from working at home. Yeah, it's great. Work in your pajamas. Hopefully, Mm -hmm. you have pajamas on. You know, so we, we made a pivot locally to really start focusing on industrial. We had several industrial projects underway prior to COVID. So we quickly realized that the leasing velocity was still there and the capital interest was still there uh, to develop industrial product. And now we have about 2 million square feet of uh, industrial space in four projects spread throughout the valley under construction uh, with another pipeline of about 3 million square feet that we're we're working in the pre-development phases. Is it slowing at all? The so industrial side. The <laughs> leasing velocity is nearly as good as we've ever seen it. We just came off a record quarter of net absorption for industrial space in Phoenix. We have record low vacancy. The vacancy rate's 2.7%. Wow. The historical averages are between 8 and 9%. But it is slowing, and it's slowing because capital is pausing. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have seen, unfortunately, return uh, expectations grow substantially by these institutional investors that fund a lot of these large-scale projects. And with today's land costs and today's construction costs and today's rents, we can't get to those return thresholds. Unfortunately, it's, there's a, a little bit of turbulence out there right now. And I know of at least a dozen deals uh, that are industrial deals that have um, you know, more or less blown up over the last 60 days yeah. um, as there's all this, this pushback with this higher interest rate environment. And it's tough because you tell these investors, you're like... Guys, people need the space. Even if leasing stops, we may get back to a historical vacancy rate, but probably not. And leasing's probably not going to stop. It's no secret that our best friends in California will continue to chase users over here, especially on an industrial standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. They don't like the trucking. They don't like a lot of the hazardous materials in the buildings. And so you feel like there's a lot of tailwinds, uh, specifically as it relates to the industrial market. You know, But I get it, looking at it and seeing these returns that are now below what today's interest rates are, right? So if a buyer or investor puts debt on a project, that debt is actually reducing their yield on the project. That so, is exactly right. <laughs> uh, so we have this negative leverage situation with, you know, and that's that's scary. So all, hopefully, all, hopefully all we'll constru- work through that. Yeah, all construction is going through that, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, industrial has been so massive in the Valley the last, it seems like years and years. Absolutely. And last year, I would say in any given week, we were responding to two lease proposals per week. The last 90 to 120 days, I've been doing eight or 10, putting eight or 10 lease proposals out on various size bases from a million feet all the way down to 30,000 feet. So, and the leasing rates are, are very strong and these tenants are, are dying for space tomorrow. So it's, a, it's an interesting disconnect in the market today. But there's not only the capital, but, you know, we're all in the space and having those conversations behind the scenes. And one of the biggest issues right now is electrical gear. So that even like we were joking without mentioning names, that even if like we were working together or or I was a key subcontractor to you, I might not get the gear for a year and a half up to two years. So we couldn't even energize that building as fast as you could build it. Right. And that that's one of the, and there's, you know, that's, that's what the issue is now. Mm -hmm. Remember if we go back to, what, 12, 16 months ago was steel. If you weren't ordering the bar joists and the deck, and then we all yep. started going to modified roof systems to to mitigate that, there'll be another cycle like that again. And, you know, there's all of us in our industry are out there trying to throw darts at what is the next one? Yep. You know, it's, is it roofing? Is it PVC this? Is it, you know, is it, well, we've seen it with the concrete on the tilt, um, you know, things like that. So... Yeah, it truly seems like every part of the supply chain is going to break before we're through this. <laughs> now, the challenge is... There's enough at, duct tape out there. Yeah. <laughs> the challenge is looking at the economics. We see it, something break. We see immediate price escalation. And then it's corrected, but we don't see any decrease. It just goes to a more normal inflation rate. Yep. And so, you know, that that piles on after a while and, and starts to get uh, gets very expensive very quickly. Take a tangent and go back to just some offline chatter because I think the audience would get a kick out of this. Is so Josh and I were joking. I'm definitely older than he is, but I'm an ex-Minneapolis guy. So I remember when sharing an office complex with Ryan when they were we were joking. We figured they were about what two hundred million, maybe yep. two, maybe three hundred million in, in in revenue per year. 
And I probably knew half half of the Ryan staff because we rode on the elevator every day. And I'd look over on a typical day. This was in the mid-90s. I'd look over and go, hey, I went to college with that guy in construction management. Oh, yeah, I'm working for Ryan now. <laughs> so, but another thing was, and I'll talk explicitly to, to the Minneapolis market and the connection to Phoenix was, um, I was explaining to Josh that Ryan was somewhat ostracized back when 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 I was coming into the marketplace because you guys weren't the typical general contractor. I'll, I'll throw another name out there, Opus, friendly competitor of all of us. They were based in Minneapolis too. And, you know, the good old boys club of the general contractors ostracized both of you guys and both organizations because, well, you can't be real estate developers. You know, that that that's a commercial real estate thing. If you're going to be a GC, you got to be a GC. You can't be mixing in the pot. Yeah. And then where I'm leading this is I think it's a very interesting conversation that I want Josh to to go on is because I don't know if you heard this, but they're over $4 billion a year now from, from those humble beginnings of, of where they were before. That was a tremendous leap of faith they and other fellow competitors took sure. to become true developers slash GC builders and look at it more in that holistic manner. And now you see that predominantly nationwide, the, the, the big boys, i.e. you're one of them, that is the recipe. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we feel that that integration in a firm provides so much value to both our clients and ourselves because we can see things coming that others maybe can't, right? You know, you design a building, you're, you're just a developer, right? You design a building, you go bid it out to three contractors, then you find out the steel's messed up, right? Right. Versus I'm sitting with my construction brother every day in my office that's three cubes down, right? And the second that they hear that there's a problem, they can walk over to my desk and we can try to plan for that. Right. Right. And so I think that that helps a ton. And interestingly, it's 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 a bit interesting how Ryan actually got into the development world. So and this is this is kind of how we grew as a company throughout our history. Um, we were just a pure thirty pure third party GC um for a number of years. And in the late 70s, one of our um clients came to us and said, Hey, can we lease this building from you instead of actually, you know, making monthly construction payments? And we said, sure, we'll figure that out. And that was much the Ryan spirit and mm-hmm. you know, the Ryan owners that you know still own and operate the company today. We're like, we'll we'll figure this out. We think this is a great opportunity for us. And so we signed a lease rate. The rate, I believe I've heard was about 25 cents a square foot a month. <laughs> Which is just just hard to believe, but the total building cost on that first building was eight dollars a square foot. It was a retail building in the eight dollars in, in Minnesota. You know, just just numbers that you can't even fathom yeah, now. Doesn't make sense. Uh, doesn't make any sense at all. You can't one scope is an eight dollars. I don't. You know, maybe right. paint might be updated. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, that's funny. But yeah, and it's that organic growth that's really served us well as a as a company. We didn't open the Phoenix office because we saw it was a growing market. We opened it because of a couple of clients that that invited us here, right? And the Phoenix office has spun off our San Diego office through clients. And I was a part of, in 2014, the first proposal I worked on was for a company called Group Health uh, up in Seattle, who's since been acquired by Kaiser Permanente. Um, But it's a health company. And we built a a large 500,000 square foot office and lab build a suit campus for them in Renton, Washington. And that became the start of our mm. Seattle office. And then fast forward to 2019, and we are chasing a Medtronic project in Denver. We didn't have a Denver office. Medtronic's a Minneapolis-based company. And so we had some connections there. And our Southwest team in, in Phoenix went up and interviewed and won the work. And now we're wrapping up a 388,000 square foot campus in the Denver area. And now we have a Denver office. And so it's really been that organic growth that's brought us uh, throughout the country, which is, which is really great. That's smart growth too. I mean, yeah. not just, let's just go up there and just start an office and figure out if we can get work, just go where the work takes you. Yep. Novel idea. Okay. So Josh, what, go back to your insight and all the cool things you get to see. What are the trends you're seeing in, in the valley on on the different verticals? I mean, take take away the, the the uniqueness of Ryan companies and how we've talked about that, but just you know, we've talked about industrial. But are you seeing any trends in the uh, assisted living or some of the other strong suits that you guys have as an organization? Yeah, so we made a, a large push about six or seven years ago into the assisted living world. 
we generally develop an integrated facility. Shocker is an integrated company where we do independent living, assisted living, and memory care. It's an age-in-place model. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, your parents or or grandparents can age in place in in one spot and you, you don't have to move them when they're ready for the next level of care. And so we have five uh, senior living projects here in Phoenix alone. And then we are spread all throughout uh, the country doing these projects as well. As you can imagine, COVID hit senior living very hard as well. Pretty hard, yeah. Because people all of a sudden didn't want to go in these facilities that they saw you know, could be dangerous for them or their loved ones. And so we're still developing senior living in, in other markets. The economics don't work currently in Phoenix, uh, but we think that'll come back. For assisted living? Yes. Uh, you, you need very high demographics today, um, even higher than pre-COVID yeah. to make sense of them. Sure. And then typically we'll have five mile radius restrictions on our deals. And we have two that are in lease up in Scottsdale, which is That's, you know, yeah. the best demographic. And then we yeah. have one at 32nd Camelback serving the PV in Arcadia market. So we really have the best demographics circled. So our senior living developer here locally, his name's Daniel Raymer. He sits across from me. He's been developing in Seattle and Southern California and places like that the last couple of years. So that's that's where he's finding opportunity. Now, will you will you have your own operator on that, or do you partner with someone on that? We partner with several different operators. Uh, Life Care Services is a big partner of ours, um, and then we have a couple of others that we'll uh, do a co branded. But you'll still have location. You'll still have mixed equity in that then too, right? We do. Yep. Yeah, we'll invest equity. Our operator will invest equity, and then we'll have an equity, uh, an institutional equity investor. Smart move in yeah. that as well. We're also growing the multifamily business as well. Uh, that continues to be a, a good business. It seems like we must be on the eleventh or twelfth year of the multifamily run. Yeah, it, I'm very it, jealous that it I. It really didn't doesn't get into seem it. to be slowing down either. It doesn't. No. You know, you have a shortage of of housing in the market. Well, and with the and the recent interest rates, that if there was a little bit of a downtick, and now it's just oh, well, who can afford homes anymore? Right. Yep. Exactly. Need to rent an apartment. So we're doing that, and then we're also doing a, a ton of medical. We continue to see medical office expansion, and then different specialty surgery centers and, and other acute care facilities that we're developing around the country with Ryan. Very cool. Let's take a break and uh, we'll dive back in. Tory Contracting, your full service Division 9 contractor. Tory Contracting operates with a smaller hands-on team. This cohesive structure results in superior workmanship and economical solutions. We deliver projects with unsurpassed commitment to quality and stewardship of budget. Tory Contracting, Small enough to listen, big enough to deliver. So we were talking about the the multifamily piece and the fact that it doesn't appear to be slowing down. It's one of the things that we're in, the Tories in quite a bit. And we're hearing, of course, that same thing with interest rates. And and, uh, it seems that the smarter development people, and this one that I was in a meeting with last week is also a developer GC, uh, follows that same model, a third their own money, a third outside investors, and then they go borrow a third. And because of that, they're saying the interest rate piece isn't killing us. It's not stopping us because we've Supply got, and demand. We've got, we've got yeah. our, and we've got our money, um, not, you know, in a, in loaned or lended. So yeah, very interesting stuff. Yeah. The performance still work. Um, here, I'm going to go down another rabbit hole for a little bit, just because it's interesting and you'll see why I'm, I, I like leading questions. Sure. Josh, I thought it was really interesting about your background with, you know, giving back to the community and the baseball thing. Can you let the audience know what that's all about? Absolutely. So I grew up playing baseball, love, love baseball. I was a catcher, which I think... That explains the dance in the forehead. Yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah, exactly. And it, uh, you know, it was nice to at least feel like you're in control of the game. And, Mm -hmm. you know, hopefully... His nickname was Tim Cup, by the Mm -hmm. way. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so it was, it was nice to try to outthink a batter and, you know, try to keep your pitcher in line while you were... Mm -hmm you know, squatting behind there. But yeah, I had the opportunity uh, to get involved with a program called Opportunity Through Baseball. It was founded by a man named Sean Payton. Coach Payton is who I call him. And he first got to know him through the Diamondbacks Training Centers, which I believe is now branded Diamondbacks Academy. But it is the youth academies that the Arizona Diamondbacks host. (laughs) And I did private lessons uh, through Coach Payton uh, for years while I was playing. 
I played through high school uh, over at Seton Catholic High School in Chandler. And then I ended up playing my freshman year on the ASU club team. So not the D1 team, but there's a club team. Mm -hmm. It was a really great experience. We actually played the local community colleges uh, throughout Phoenix. And then we played the other D1 schools. It was then the Pac-12. I don't know what it's. It's the Pac something now, but who knows? Yeah, That's another tangent that we don't have time to go down. But anyways, Coach Payton was starting this organization to give back to the kids that couldn't go to the D-backs training centers or the Diamondbacks Academy. And so we focused uh, first on the Balt School District in Central Phoenix, just kind of north of the 202, kind of along that along that McDowell corridor, north of the airport. And so we went to Larry C. Kennedy and Balt's Elementary and several others, and we would put on a six-week program. The focus was character development through baseball. Hmm. And so there would be a classroom portion and then an on-the-field portion. Two days a week after school, try to keep kids out of trouble. Classroom portion, you know, focusing on those character development concept things, and then being out on the field and reinforcing that as you're teaching the game of baseball um, to these kids, some of which have never picked up a baseball before. Um, and then we do Sandlot Saturdays where we'd play games with them. I was involved in that for about seven years, you know, from the beginning with Coach Payton, helped grow it um, as an organization and have since subsequently peeled off just because of my time commitments at work, getting out of the office <laughs> twice a <laughs> week in the afternoon. Yeah. This work uh, thing gets was in the way a of everything. Bit tough, but Coach Payton's still doing it. You know, he's a wonderful individual, a great example. And I was thrilled to participate in that and, and really give back uh, to a game that taught me a lot of lessons yeah. in life. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. So uh, I'm going to pull a JJ here and we're going to dive into this rabbit hole. Yeah, he's looking at me like I did something wrong. Don't be stealing my words because there's so you there there's so few that I have to yeah. rely on them. Yeah, when I yeah, has to own them. Let's go back to the industrial piece. We kind of touched on on some of it, but we really didn't get into what do you think is driving that demand. I mean, we touched on 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 one of the big guys specifically, but it's got to be similar businesses. It's a mix of every business, quite frankly. Manufacturing. It's manufacturing, it's distribution and warehousing. And there's several things driving this. From 2020, you know, say February of 2020, the date that everyone loves to reference to today, we've seen e-commerce sales double. And so Amazon Mm -hmm. has doubled their footprint accordingly. Um, Amazon slowed down their growth because they doubled their footprint in two years, uh, which is just amazing to think about. You think the whole footprint that it took them from 97, 98 to right. 20, or 2020, February of 2020. And then to double and it then again. To double it again in two years is just unbelievable to try to even fathom. But it's not just Amazon, right? It's, it's every retailer has seen a huge explosion of their e-commerce sure. growth and they've needed space. So we've seen Target and Walmart and you know, all those competitors take very large chunks of distribution space. Another thing, we've seen all the supply chain issues throughout the last two and a half years. Uh, groups are really looking to increase their inventory levels throughout their supply chain so that hopefully they don't have empty shelves because an empty shelf um, for many folks is a lost sale opportunity for sure. them. And so they're, they're trying to have some safety stock. We're seeing reshoring with the manufacturing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's no secret that China has opened and closed and opened and closed again and again throughout this pandemic and has created huge bottlenecks in China sure. and in our ports as well. Sure. And so companies are, are really focused on bringing manufacturing back. And so Arizona's uh, the benefit of that as well. And then I did touch on California. You know, the, There's over 2 billion square feet of space in Southern California. And to give a little perspective, there's about 500 million square feet of space here in the Phoenix market. The Southern California... That doesn't... That really that seems like a, a big number. But when, but when you look around here... When you compare it to that, two billion to five hundred million, two billion, and of that two billion square feet, the vacancy rate is under one percent. So if you're think, a, just think about that math, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I really. know that's hard. There's smoke coming out of Robert's head. No, I mean it is. It's amazing when you think about that because if you're from here and you drive south of I-10 between the 101 or in that whole 101 to I-10, you know, piece, there it's just nothing but industrial buildings and now along the 303 and i'm just talking west side well, and then the whole southeast corner yeah. that you guys are doing and everybody else it's, in town it's amazing is. as much as there is to think that those numbers that we're not really putting it 
So keep going, Josh, because yeah. we got the ice cream. Now put yeah. the, the syrup and the cherry on it. Absolutely. So you think about 2 billion square feet and no space available in Southern California. And then you think about how hard it is to develop in California. Almost impossible. I'm glad I don't have to do it. I right. feel bad for my colleagues that have to. Um, no, he doesn't. But, <laughs> but, yeah. but on radio, it sounds no, good. Exactly. So there's not a large delivery pipeline in Southern California, and there probably won't be for the foreseeable future um, as they continue to get more and more anti-development. And then the other interesting thing, and you may know this spending time in Vegas, is although there looks like there's a lot of land in Vegas, it's hard to get a hold of land that you can develop, especially for industrial development. Yep. So they have a very tight vacancy and not a lot of industrial under construction. We have much more under construction here. So if you're a fill-in-the-blank Fortune 500 company and you need half a million or a million feet of space in the southwestern United States, Phoenix is your option. Southern California is full. Vegas is full with a, a very limited supply pipeline. And so then it all makes sense why we're seeing this huge industrial boom yeah, here in the Phoenix right. area. Josh, you're obviously... It's refreshing to have you on and... and you're very wise for your age. It's it's refreshing. He's only heck. 17 for those yeah. of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two weeks um, away from 30. And I'm glad about it. How much of that, I always ask this question because I'm the naive old guy. How much of that is intermodal driven as well? Because I, I'm I'm feeling like that, you, you described some wonderful constraints to Southern California, even Vegas, but I I don't think we even, even tapped intermodal capabilities, especially thinking of Casa Grande, you know, our, our, our southern right. part of our community. Yeah, I think people are undervaluing pipeline access, uh, rail access, even truck traffic back and forth to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Am I am I on the right path? Are you guys seeing those same things? Yeah, and the intermodal is something that we see some of, but we haven't even scratched the, the surface, surface of yeah. the potential. Um, you may recall that BNSF is working on a large facility kind of northwest near Surprise, um, and then UP has talked about forever um, doing an expansion down by Picacho Peak. And right. I, don't, I don't know the exact status of, of mm-hmm. that project, but it seems like there'd be a lot more potential. And especially with the port congestion, if, it, if it's possible to get, these, get this freight here. Um, and, and then you mentioned the trucks. The trucks are interesting as well because you know a majority of the goods that are flowing in this part of the country are flowing from West, Port of Long Beach, one yep. of the largest ports mm-hmm. in the US and in the world, coming east. And so there's freight rates coming from west to east, but then coming from the east going west, it's discounted because there's not nearly as many goods coming from Arizona going to Southern California. So again, if you're that big company and you want to service the 35 million people in Southern California, you can actually take advantage of some discounted freight rates locating here in Phoenix. Right. It it is true then. It's cheaper to take it from Long Beach, come over here to distribution, and then ship it back. Correct. Yep. Yeah. You see that reverse flow benefit of those freight rates. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely does. It'd be like Robert getting a perm. We'll talk about that someday, <laughs> but I had a perm when I got married. Oh, that's uh Daryl asked the question, what's UP? I know what it is. It's Union Pacific. Yes. Railroad. Railroad. If you've ever Good played question. if you've ever played Monopoly, well, no, that's not in Monopoly, I don't think. But Okay, great. Where were we? Yeah, What's I next? don't remember. Oh, perms. Yeah, and that's not. No. We're, we're not going there. I'll bring a picture one day. I did have one. No, I looked like like Link off the Mod Squad. So uh, I'm gonna. I'll switch it back yeah. again because we're playing the switch. Let's go down this rabbit. The hole. switch game. Yeah. Back to the cool things that you did. You know, as a as an individual and as a youth and the baseball story. Talk about what's unique about Ryan. Like, what do you guys do that's cool and giving back? And like, what made what makes you so proud to be there? Absolutely. You know, it, it's owned and operated by the Ryan family. I'm fortunate to work for Orion. You know, my direct report is to Orion, which I know I'm That's pretty incredibly cool. spoiled one to of have the, that one, one, of, of, the one of the Ryans. Really? So uh, Molly Ryan Carson, who I mentioned <laughs> earlier, she is fourth generation Ryan. There are uh, four members of the fourth generation. Um, she has two brothers working for the company. Molly's the oldest of eight, actually. And so she has two of her younger brothers that work for the company, one in Seattle and then one in Minneapolis. And then um, Mike Ryan, um, who is Molly's uncle's son for, you know, if you can follow that, Mm -hmm. Um, there's two, there's two brothers, two Ryan brothers that started. And so there's kind of these two family lines, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, So from the other, other Ryan group, Ryan family, who's involved in the company as well, I'm in senior leadership um, in Minneapolis. And so we're a family-owned and operated company. 
we feel like a big family. You know, we talk a lot about our culture. Our culture is very important to us. Uh, making money is great, but really keeping our culture is one of the things that we focus on the most. And we do that through good hiring. Um, we do that through events and we do that through giving back to the community. And so we we try to do a minimum of two acts of service per month in each of our regions. And that could be doing Habitat for Humanity, going to Feed My Starving Children. Mm -hmm. And then also we, we've had the fortune of, of building for many nonprofits um, at no fee. And we give back in the construction process but then we also usually will set up a reoccurring volunteer. So we've had a volunteer event. So we've had the fortune of doing that for St. Vincent de Paul. We're working with the Arizona Humane Society on a new building now. Those are some of the ways that we give back. As an individual working for the company, we can be very flexible and very nimble, which I love. You know, I can easily get to decision makers very easily. So even though we are a 2,000 person organization, mm -hmm. The door's always open to any of the Ryans, to any of our senior leadership. And it's not just me on the development team. It's, it's any of our employees That's are, amazing, are more really. than welcome to, to reach out. We all sit in cubicles. <laughs> I wish I had a private office personally, but we're all in cubicles all the way up to CEO. So no one's got a private office with a... Now, you know, wait a second. Yes. No. Yes. The CEO's in a cube. The CEO is in a cube. Same size cube that everyone else has in Minneapolis. That's impressive. That's just how accessible and everyone is and, and leadership is in the company and, and how we help maintain that strong culture internally. I want to be in that cube right next to them for some of those conversations that you know that go on. You know, they're probably empty. <laughs> they put you in a cube a long time they ago. Put, the problem was it was padded. Again, <laughs> <laughs> a lock on the door. Yeah, exactly right. And that is a the culture thing is is well known. I mean, you know, when you talk to other people in the in the trades and they know Ryan. It's a first class. Are you guys doing anything unique right now to to overcome the supply and demand issue of people as well? Or are we all are you struggling with the same thing all of us are? I think we all struggle specifically in this industry. And even if it's not us struggling, it's our subcontractor partners that yeah. are struggling through it, right? And we you know, we're trying to help them as much as we can and, you know, try to be flexible with resequencing and, you know, everything I think you're just occurs more and more of that. Project, right? I mean, we all, I think we as an industry, we all talked about that. But now I think the, the, the walk has to exceed the talk. And there isn't a week that goes by. I know, Robert, you do it in your forums and I do it in mine. That has to be sincere and, and tactful now to bring the trade base along with us. In other words, like what you're saying, if we're, we're if we have a, access to this many more things, capital, knowledge, tools, whatever, if we're not bringing that along, we're then we're we're going to be at our own demise. Yeah. So I'm I'm seeing a much more active approach by everyone in that. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to do this again. A word from our sponsor. There comes a time when dreams become a reality, when you see your vision materialize into a true work of art. And the only way to get there is to choose a general contractor who shares that same vision and knows how to bring it to life. At Blue Wave, we aren't so big that we've forgotten where we've come from. And we aren't so small that we can't care for your projects regardless of their size. When your vision deserves safety, perfection, timeliness, and expertise in order to become a reality, trust Blue Wave to get it done right the first time. So I was sitting here listening to that, and it's like, you know, Blue Wave, and I'm thinking, so how many, here's a softball question for you. So how many billions of dollars a year are you doing right now? <laughs> uh, that'd be a negative. That'd be a negative. <laughs> you know, us in the industry, when we hear numbers like that, you know, I mean, we work hard to get it into the the 20, 30, 40, 50 100, millions, yeah. 100 millions. Oh, man, you get into 100 million and man, you've made it. You tell somebody you're doing 100 million a year and you're just in rarefied air. And Josh comes in and, you know, you know, 4.2 billion. But yeah, Daryl, Daryl vapor locked on us for a few minutes and immediately asked for a job. So what have we not talked about so far? Well, I, I'd be curious. Um, I liked your story about that you went into business school and then went into commercial real estate. You know, our, not, you know what I'm saying? Like the focus on developing is 
talk to the kids out there that are maybe listening or I say kids, that shows you how old I am. But if there's someone in college right now or in the trade schools, what could they glean off of your advice? Well, I think my favorite thing that that I mentioned earlier that I learned from my parents is hard work, right? There's so many folks that don't want to check that box, right? Today, <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate. Understatement right? of the I century. Mean, if you just if you just show up and work hard, you'll immediately stand out, and it'll make it a lot easier for you. And if you have half a brain on your shoulders, the sky is well, the we limit. We have to exit the room, then, yeah, Robert. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, people listening <laughs> don't understand how much wisdom is in that comment that he just yeah. made. If you'll just show up and work hard, you immediately stand out, and that's absolutely true. And you'll be given every opportunity as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, Which sounds like what, yeah. exactly what happened to you. Absolutely. And and I saw it through my parents, right? I keep mentioning them, but they didn't go to college. And, you know, they ended up growing a very successful business that mm-hmm. they owned and operated in this town for for 36 years, right? And and created a, a very nice growing up for my younger sister and I, who actually works for Ryan in our Seattle office now. So I'm I'm keeping it in, in the family. Look she's, out. She's it's going to become the Tracy companies pretty yeah. soon. You know, yeah. I joke about that with Molly all the time, and she doesn't think it's funny. I yeah. think it's hilarious. I think she's threatened yeah. by it. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I saw that. I saw the hard work and, um, you know, the returns that that provided mm-hmm. to my parents. And then I felt I was given the gift from them of, of a college education and, and wanted to do something with it. And, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> I mentioned that I, I wanted... I figured out that I wanted to go into commercial real estate my junior year of college. And what, made, and what made you make that decision? Curious. Like, how, I mean, I never woke up as a kid and went, oh, man, I want to be a commercial real estate agent. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it, it's it just kind of, I want to say I wondered there, which is which is interesting. But I didn't know what I wanted to do from... I, I say I didn't know what I wanted to do. But when I look back growing up, I kind of figured out that there were some some mm-hmm. related things that kind of all lined up. So I can remember the first job I wanted to be. I wanted to be a construction worker in kindergarten. Okay. So I was like, okay, that's go. that's yeah, kind of related. And then I wanted to be an architect. Okay. And in eighth grade, I was in an integrated studies class, and architecture was the focus. And I'm like, I hate this. Right. So I'm like, all right, I don't want to be an architect. I you know I don't want to be a construction worker anymore. I don't know what I want to do. So then there was a period really through high school and the first two years of college that I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. So I went to business school because I figured, all right, business is flexible enough. Well, that's a good choice. Yeah. yeah. And I thought one day I want to be an investor in real estate. So I'm going to take a real estate class while I'm in college. And I fell in love with real estate. And I knew that I didn't want to go into residential real estate. My my wife actually does some residential real estate and God bless her for willing to go through that. Um, But it's it's a tough business with a lot of emotion. Not that we aren't emotional, right, guys? In this business. <laughs> We're, but, Robert's crying right <laughs> now. Exactly. Nice cover, by the way. Exactly. Okay, yeah. exactly. And so I fell in love with real estate and knew I wanted to go into commercial real estate. But then I still didn't know quite what I wanted to do. Development sounded fun. Brokerage sounded fun. Um, and I was uh, I actually have this, this cool story as to how I got connected to Molly. Yeah, my aunt is a commercial real estate broker at uh, Colliers International. Her name's Kathy Foster. She does a lot of tenant rep work, uh, both locally and nationally now. she's Her business has exploded the last few years. And she's she's killing it. Um, but unfortunately, through some family drama, like every family has, we got disconnected um, for 8 to 10 years um, mm-hmm. through my childhood. One day, I was heading to a spring training game with my buddy. Um, I happened to have a convertible at the time. Perks of growing up in an auto body shop, you get a cool car when you turn 16. <laughs> and um, so I'm in... in I want my, to get adopted by his dad yeah, again all over again. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm I'm heading to the baseball game in my convertible. Uh, we're going to a Diamondbacks game at Salt River Fields. And we get off the 101, my buddy and I. And my aunt and uncle and one of my cousins pulls up next to me in a convertible. And we look over at each other. And they're like, Josh? I'm like, hey, Aunt Kathy and Uncle Jack. They're like, pull over. I was able to get connected, reconnected that way with them. That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I, uh, she's like, Josh, how are you? What are you doing? I'm, I'm at ASU. I'm a junior. I want to go into commercial real estate. She's like, I'm in commercial real estate. I can help you. And she set up a coffee with Molly. And I met Molly, was offered an internship. And <laughs> Wait. now I'm sitting here as a vice president of real estate development. That's, how, that's really how the internship happened. That's really... How it happened. He should have bought a lottery ticket that same day. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. We're, yeah. We're going to go buy one together right before, right when we're done here. <laughs> yeah. So, but you, 
you run, you're in traffic and pull up next to each other. And she knows Molly, introduces you to Molly, internship to direct hire. Yes. And it gives me chills every time I tell yeah, the story. It is really, yeah. So don't don't even try to think that there's not a purpose. And yeah, it's some good stuff. Yeah, life will test you. If you, the minute you start thinking there's not a purpose, yeah, there'll be something that will really, really try to challenge <laughs> that, is what I've learned. And, and how how just abstract. You know, we hear stories like we talk about this all the time and how close knit the construction world here is in, in Phoenix. Everybody oh. worked for somebody else. And, you know, you go to a function and, oh, there's so-and-so. Oh, yeah, I've been here. You know, it's just it's over and over, especially when you're on the biz dev side and you run into people so random at times that, that you know, people I when I people tell me all the time I was in prison with JJ and <laughs> I'm like, well, okay. It was only a short stint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, good stuff. Josh, uh, what, um, I have one more question. Right? I don't Absolutely. know how we're doing on time, but. We're doing good. Okay. What haven't we talked about development? Why is it you? That you want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, that you want to talk about. What What's out there? What challenges do you see coming for you or not only Ryan, but just you as a representative of, of everyone that's in your, in your little niche in the market? Yeah. The thing I would say about development is it's like walking through some thick grass and there's 20 snakes, sorry, not 20, 200 snakes hidden in that grass. <laughs> and five of them are going to bite you throughout the process. You just don't know which five. And so it's just that constant need to be nimbleness, yeah. uh, to be nimble rather. Because one thing will kill you on one project and then the next thing will try to kill you on the next, right? So you're always learning, you're always trying to anticipate what's going to happen. But on one project, it'll be the FAA. On the next project, it'll be the bank. On a third project, it'll be the angry neighbors, right? I mean, there's just always there something. There is always something. There is just always something. And it feels like every project has to die two or three times before it ever gets built. At least that's, that's what I experience. Maybe no, I'm just to hear you, what no, I do. No, it's funny to hear you but say it a, because a, every one of us can relate. Yeah. As a 29 and 11, 12-year-old man, yeah, you got the wisdom of a... Uh, old guy like No, us. he really yeah. does because it's this stuff is just absolutely I'm a division 9 contractor, subcontractor. He's a general contractor. We see that with everything that we do. Oh, that one went away. A year later, oh yeah, I worked on that once before. Let me let me pull it. You know, it's just over. It just keeps churning and churning. It does. So you have to be, you know, a self-starter. You have to get up and want it every day because everything's going to push back. The market's going to push back. Individuals that you interact with are going to push back and you have to overcome these problems, you know, on a on a daily basis, and they're always changing. And so, just trying to adapt that and hold your real estate development deal together, because these deals take three to five years. From my, you know, from my perspective, right. right, right. Some of the audience might be on the front end or in the middle, or or you know, towards the end of a project, and they might be involved from two weeks to three months, right. But but you know, it's really part of a three year, four year process where everything has to go darn near perfect. You know, or it's very uncomfortable, and it can be, you know, there, there can be huge upside, and there can be huge downside, and so yeah, embrace the suck, as they say, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, I think not that you should feel bad for real estate developers, but uh-huh. if your owners ever, you know, if you're if you're a general contractor, or subcontractor, and your your owners ever lost his mind at you for whatever has happened, you know, mm-hmm. realize that you're not the only guy that, that he's It's a different with. flavored landmine. That's all. That's exactly. all it is. That's exactly. Have those, hey, Josh, have those encumbrances uh, because you guys are big enough and nimble and nimble enough at the same time. Have those recent encumbrances allowed you guys to bring any solutions in-house? I can't think of anything offhand, but I'm just curious. Like, uh, I'm sure you do your own entitlement, but has uh, there been other things that have said, oh, Ryan companies, let's let's develop a solution to this because we have enough demand just on our own stuff that we can create that. Yeah, we have done that actually on the architecture side um, as well as some civil engineering. So we actually have 160 architects that work internally at Ryan companies today. And we design about a third of our projects as Ryan A&E, our architecture group. Wow. And so it, it, it's a mix of all product types that we do. Um, it was an opportunity for us to further integrate, not just be a contractor and developer, lesser known, but we also have a large property management group as well that does the management on our projects as well as for third-party owners. Mm-hmm. And so we're really trying to control as much of the life cycle of the building as we can 
from start to finish. And we think that the lessons that we learn as a property manager help us be a better architect, help us be a better developer, and help us be a better contractor. And so we try to all feed off each other on these things that we learn throughout the different segments that is is the life of a building, um, which we think, again, just, just helps us out a ton, makes our life easier, and hopefully makes our clients' lives better as well. Yeah, I agree. How about on the, maybe I'm asking the wrong person, obviously, but just does Ryan still perform construction trade work as well? We do, but not in this market, other than some very limited carpentry work. Mm-hmm. We're mainly a, you know, safety supervisor, you know, construction, schedule management, budget management, yeah. you know, general contractor, but, GC, but, yeah. but generally competitively bidding out to the subcontractors, mm-hmm. 99% of the scope on every project. We do have large self-performed teams in Minneapolis and Iowa, uh, but the subcontractor base is just so great here in Phoenix and very competitive. Sure. And so we've, we just haven't had it make sense to do that here in, in this market. Awesome. So how do people get a hold of you? Well, I have a LinkedIn. Um, I think that we're going to help out with He's my URL. Got it. Because, got it. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, link, we'll link you up to LinkedIn. That's so for sure. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can message me. You can always give me a direct call as well. My phone number is 602-322-6236. That's a first. That is a first. And that's pretty cool. I'm going to call it. Yeah, uh, but I'm just... just to make his phone ring. But. Exactly. Or or feel free to, you know, the LinkedIn. The LinkedIn is great as well. Okay. And uh, I love to talk. I love to talk about real estate development. I'm happy to, to chat with anyone if they have a project that they're working on, If whether it's something for Ryan or not. If it's, you know, a question or, or some uncertainty that they have uh, with, with any part of the process. I'm an expert in the development side and I know a lot about capital and finance and that part of the business, but I, I sit next to professionals in, in every other scope, and I'm happy to connect anybody with with a professional uh, at Ryan Companies if they're ever interested. That's awesome. I know people will be. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate this. Was you awesome. Being on. Thanks uh, for having absolutely me. Absolutely phenomenal. Every time we get done with one of these, I'm like, ah, we can't top this one, and, and it's just very well done. You're you're super sharp, dude. I so, appreciate that. We're the Ryan's lucky. lucky to have you. So, well, we're the lucky ones here. So, yep. For that, we're going to see you next week. You've been listening to The Mac and Blue Show, brought to you by Tory Contracting and Blue Wave General Contracting. Be sure to subscribe to The Mac and Blue Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow Robert Johnson and JJ Levensky on LinkedIn and Instagram. And tune in live every Monday at 3 p.m. as we continue to introduce you to the people building Arizona. Walt Disney said, you can dream, create, design, and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it requires people to make the dream a reality. Until next time, make it a great day.